Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the message that we heard from the prophet Jonah, from God through his prophet Jonah to the people of Nineveh, the capital of this capital city of the Assyrian Empire that we just read in our first reading minutes ago. The time is short. That's the message that we see from God through his Apostle Paul to the people in the Greek city of Corinth in our sermon text this morning. And the time is fulfilled. That's the message that Jesus preached to the people of Galilee. All three of the Bible readings appointed for this Sunday are so well-timed since they tell about the sweep of time through our lives. But time has real meaning only if we see God working through the course of time. Think about all the way back to the beginning of time as God tells us about it in Genesis chapter 1. In six short days, not eons or billions of years, in six 24-hour days, God brought this world into being. And in an even shorter amount of time, God tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in the twinkling of an eye, God will bring this world and this whole universe to a close. Just one month ago, less than a month ago, we celebrated Christmas, remembering, giving thanks to God for the first coming of Jesus, our Savior. And now our sermon text today is, is telling us about his second coming. Just less than a full month after we celebrated his birth. Is this too short of a time to, to jump from the beginning of the story of Jesus to the end of time and the end of this world? Not at all. Shortness is exactly the way that Jesus wants us to think about his coming. In fact, he tells us that for our sakes, in order to spare us from the great suffering of the time of tribulation that happens before Judgment Day and the, the end time of the world, the tribulation that we see happening in the world all around us, Jesus tells us that for our sakes, God has shortened the time, shortened the number of days until Jesus' second coming. And we see that even the arch enemy of God's people, and of God and his will, the devil, even he knows that his time is short. His time to wreak havoc in the lives of people on this earth until God brings this whole world to a close. Now for us, from our perspective in time, sometimes this can seem a little hard for us to believe, a little hard for us to wrap our minds around. Even we who want to take God at his word because we love him and are so thankful for his mercy and grace to us through Jesus, sometimes even we are led to join those scoffers who doubt God's word, as the Apostle Peter describes for us in 2 Peter chapter 3, who say, Where is this promised coming of his? For from the time that our fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have from the beginning of creation. But just as the Apostle Peter answered the scoffers then, so God answers our sincere questions right now. He says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends, for the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. 
The Lord is not slow to do what he promised, as some consider slowness. Instead, he is patient for your sakes, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. We read in verse 31 of our text, the the way of life that belongs to this world is passing away. That's a hard reality for us to face. And that's because we love so many of the things of the life in in this world. We love the the fascinating sights, the, the, the beautiful vistas that we see when we go traveling on vacation. There's so many people in this world that we care deeply about. We love our home, our our church, our family especially, our friends, our school, our our places of work and, and recreation and entertainment. God tells us the way of life that belongs to this world is passing away. Change can be hard for us to accept, especially when we like things the way that they currently are, or at least we're, we're pretty well satisfied and content with them. But if the world's time is limited, then that means that our time is limited as well. It's hard for us to realize with the psalm writer that the length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength, but they quickly pass and we fly away. And it's even harder for us to realize that even our brief 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 years of life on this earth could be interrupted at any time by the second coming of Jesus. And that the world as we know it could, in the the twinkling of an eye, pass out of existence. But before we begin to feel too sorry for ourselves, we need to remember why our world is going to pass away. When God created the world, he created it for permanence. But then came the fall into sin. Not only human beings themselves and their nature were corrupted by sin, but the entire world and and even the universe was corrupted by sin. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 that the whole creation was subjected to frustration and is in bondage to decay because of the destructive nature of sin that has negatively affected everything in this life. And the writer to the Hebrews quotes the prophet Isaiah that heaven and earth will wear out like a garment. And so Paul's words that this world in its present form, that the way of life of this world is passing away, those are words of judgment. Those words are written to remind us of sin and its negative effects. Those words remind us of of how we abuse and misuse the precious time that God gives to us. So often we fritter it away or we worry, fill our lives and our minds and our time with with worrying and anxious thoughts or, or we waste it away. And sadly, sometimes we even speak of killing time. Such an abuse of God's gift of time is sin. It's being wasteful of this precious resource that God has entrusted to us. And by our sin, we invite God's severe judgment on ourselves. His time for this world, for us in this world, is limited. But thank God that the message of the gospel, the good news, is that God has provided an answer 
for all time. Again, in our gospel reading, we see Jesus saying, the time has come, the time is fulfilled. This was Jesus' way of proclaiming the good news of God. And with the coming of Jesus, the time that was anticipated by all of God's prophets throughout the whole Old Testament had indeed arrived. As the writer to the Hebrews said in chapter 1, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And how clearly Jesus spoke that word of God. When he went and preached in the synagogue in Nazareth in his initial sermon, he read the words of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 61, and he applied them to himself, putting himself into the framework of history as being the fulfillment of God's promise to send the Savior of the world. He said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And furthermore, Jesus designed his time for our times. God tells us through the Apostle Paul that when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. At just the right time in history, God sent his son into our world, and, and only in God's perfect timing did Jesus begin his work of redemption. We see, for example, that at multiple points throughout his public ministry, Jesus declared that the right time for me has not yet come. My time has not yet come. Jesus declared that when, at first, the Jews sought to kill him in opposition to his preaching and to the miracles that he was working. But when the time for his death had come, then Jesus boldly declared, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Jesus gave us his 33 years on this earth to live a perfect life in our place and so to satisfy God's righteous demands upon us. And Jesus gave six hours in bitter agony, nailed to the cross, and so earned for us the full forgiveness of all of our sins. And then after three days, he rose again from the grave and thus assured us that we also will rise from the dead and will have the joy and pleasure and peace of heaven for all eternity. And then after 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven and God assures us that he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father, ready at all times to intercede for us, to pray to God the Father on our behalf and to guide all things in history for our good to bring us to be with him there. God's time is a time of opportunity. To respond to this opportunity means salvation for us. But to neglect this opportunity that God gives us means disaster. So we who trust in Jesus can discern the times. We are understanding the present time. We understand, as God reveals to us through his apostle Paul in Romans chapter 13, that our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. 
In other words, every moment and every day, every year that passes means that we are closer to receiving the fulfillment of salvation when God brings us to be with him in heaven. And then also knowing the, the impending nearness of this end of, end of time, we in response are making the most of every opportunity that God gives to us. We take seriously God's call through the Apostle Paul that now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And so God calls on us, don't pass up this opportunity. And then he calls on us also to extend this opportunity, this invitation of God's love and salvation to other people. And finally, to enable us to redeem the time, to make the most of every opportunity that God gives us, God gives us the power of the gospel. In the gospel, we learn that Jesus has redeemed us for time and for eternity. And that, in turn, motivates us to redeem God's gift of time, as he tells us, to make the most of every opportunity in order to carry out the call that God has placed upon us in our lives. When we think about Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, then we can have the time of our lives using all of God's gifts of seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years wisely and also joyfully. In God's time, we find the answer for our times. So now we come to answering some of the perhaps challenging questions that our sermon text raises in verse 29. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. And we could also say to the women, those who have husbands should live as if they had none. What in the world is the Apostle Paul telling us to do? Is God telling us to run out on our spouse to neglect our marriage? Well, certainly not. We take this as we take every other passage of Scripture in the full context of Scripture where God is very clear again and again that he wants husbands and wives to be faithful to each other, to love and honor and respect, and care for each other. And so certainly God's Apostle Paul is not counseling us to be indifferent to the privileges and the responsibilities of marriage. In fact, uh, he devoted almost the entire seventh chapter of his first letter to the Corinthians, the chapter in which these verses are, are located, to talking about the responsibilities of, of many different marital situations. And so what does the Apostle Paul mean here? Well, it means that even the time that God gives us for marriage is to be kept within the perspective of God's time. And of course, the, the promise that we make at our marriage until death parts us is still the time commitment that God wants us to honor for marriage. But the span of married life together, even if it is 78 years, as with our dear departed brother and sister, uh, Lee and Eleanor Winbun, were married by God's grace for 78 years, even if it is a marriage of that length, it is still so short in comparison with eternity, with eternal life in heaven. And so as important as it is to work hard at making marriage good and God-pleasing, we're also not to get wrapped up in either the problems or the joys of marriage to such a degree that we lose the perspective of eternal life and heaven. 
In fact, we get better insight into the challenges of marriage when we look at them from that eternal perspective. And then in verse 30, we see the Apostle Paul say that those who mourn should live as if they did not. Now, of course, God is not calling us here uh, just simply not to show any signs of grief or mourning or sadness when we have a, a, a great episode or event that causes sadness or grief in our lives, especially the, the death of a loved one. He's not at all calling us to, to deny our feelings, the reality of, of what we feel as human beings. But God is telling us, again, to take every event that we experience in life, even events of great sadness, in the, the light of eternity with an eternal perspective. And so not to let those feelings of grief and sorrow so control our lives and, and so control our hearts that, again, we lose sight of the promise of heaven. But rather to take even those times of great sorrow and sadness with that eternal perspective, with the comforting words of Scripture, especially in regards to the death of a loved one, as God assures us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that death has been swallowed up in victory because of the resurrection of our Savior Jesus from the dead. Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then also in verse 30 of our reading, those who are happy, those who rejoice, should live as if they did not. Thank God for the joys that he gives us in our life. We can experience so much happiness with our, our spouse, our children, our friends, other family members and relatives and, and other uh, experiences and activities that God gives us in our lives. We can be so excited at, at special moments of life, a graduation, a marriage, an anniversary. Such a radiant glow can fill our hearts when things go well for us in this life. And thank God for those times of joy. But similarly to the times of grief and sorrow, we can't afford to, to so focus on those moments and longing for more moments like that, that again we lose sight of the eternal perspective of heaven. The time for earthly joys, relatively speaking, is so short, but the joys of heaven will last forever. And again in verse 30, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Thinking back to just uh, a month or so ago, many of us had a good taste of, of buying things as we prepared for our Christmas celebrations. But what we bought or what we gave or were given was not for us to keep forever. Instead, we, God reminds us that nothing that we have in this life is a permanent possession for us. And ultimately, in death, we will surrender it all to someone else. God tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. And so if our Lord returns on the last day of the world while we are still living, even then also we will still surrender all that we have. We cannot take it with us into eternal life in heaven. And so the, the best shopping guide is not a, a catalog we receive in the mail or the pop-ups that, that appear on our cell phone or computer screen, but it's the advice that God's Apostle Paul gives to us here in this verse. That those who buy something should live as if it were not theirs to keep. 
as if we're only temporary caretakers of it. So that's a solid principle of Christian stewardship for us to follow in this life. Everything that we have is simply on loan from God to us for us to, to use and to manage for the short time of our life on this earth. And then in verse 31, the Apostle Paul says, those who use the things of the world should live as if not engrossed in them. What a blessing it is, again, to be able to make use of all of the the modern conveniences of life that that God allows us to enjoy. Uh, Cell phones, you know, supercomputers in our pockets, uh, our, our cars today that are filled with so many conveniences and gadgets that decades ago people could never have dreamed about. We have all these things and more in our world today. But let's make sure that these things in and of themselves do not become our world, do not become an obsession and a, a, a sole focus for us. Rather, let's become totally engrossed instead in the blessings that we possess in Jesus, in those spiritual riches. At the beginning of this new year, we're thinking again about filing income taxes in the coming weeks or months, as we fill out those tax return forms, we can't help but feeling very conscious about what we possess, uh, whether it's how, how richly God has blessed us or if we feel that, that we can barely make ends meet. Uh, at that time, we, we tend to focus a lot on dollars and cents. But it's so, it's so important, again, at that time, that we count our real possessions, our most prized possessions, and know what we really have. Everlasting life. A mansion prepared for us in heaven with Jesus. Peace that passes all understanding. Inexpressible and glorious joy that God has prepared for us at his side. And God's never-failing love for us through Jesus. What do we often say when uh, we're... We're saying goodbye when, as our friends or family head out for a, an, an evening of enjoyment or entertainment to some sporting event, perhaps, or on a vacation. Have a good time, we wish them. Well, that is my wish for each of you as you depart from this house of worship this morning. In God's time, everything happens quickly and, and everything about our world will quickly come to a close, God tells us. Nevertheless, since God has provided the answer for all time and eternity through his Son, Jesus our Savior, I send you off into the rest of this day and this coming week wishing each of you a good and God-pleasing time. Look to God with full confidence in his blessing and with hearts full of thanksgiving as you confess to God, my times are in your hands for Jesus' sake. Amen.